You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. Hi guys, quick abbreviated intro as I do more of the intro on the actual podcast. Disclosures today, Akram is along DocuSign and Zoom. I am along Zoom and Dropbox. And just a quick note, at some point, Akram's headphones disconnected in some way from the recording, which made it hard for me to tell him that he was disconnected. So you'll hear him sounding like he's coming from another room for a few minutes. It does correct itself. Okay. Welcome to this week's The Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel. We are jumping in first first Monday of September, Labor Day. We're going to talk... A few different SaaS earnings last week. SaaS sector continuing to be entertaining. We're going to hit Okta, MongoDB, Viva, may come some other names. Twilio has jumped into the spotlight again or under scrutiny among a bunch of investors. And then if we have some time, maybe we'll also jump into some semiconductors at the end. So, Akram, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Happy Not holidays. Too, yeah. Happy, happy Labor Day. Uh, little little side labor here just to get back on the podcast bump. Um, so yeah, it's it's been an interesting earnings season and we're still sort of shaking out the last few names in this sort of SaaS sector earnings. And last week we also had sort of the market continued to have a hangover from Fed positioning, bear market rally, whatever you want to call it, and had a rough week on a whole. And a few different names stepped specifically into earnings and didn't have the best time of it. So you would you would mention those names to me beforehand. So why don't we start with one of those? What's going? Let's start with Okta, which is a name we haven't. Okta is a name we haven't dived dived into a ton on the podcast. I remember, I think we actually had. Um, the Atlassian Mafia guys on, and they were really praising of Oxa as a business, I remember at the time. And this is back, I don't know if it's even 2020 or it's early 2021. We're we're a long way from there yeah. from uh, Justin, investment Justin perspective. Sold, uh, Justin's startup that he sold to Atlassian was a single sign-on. Right. So. Right. Which is, yeah, which, you know, and I, I remember thinking at the time, I think Okta sold off when they bought Otho. And I was like, mm, okay, like Okta, you know, the guys think it's a really quality company. Maybe if it gets to a reasonable multiple someday, and I've never really gone back and looked at it, but uh, 
what what happened? Where where are we with uh, what's going on with them? I mean, I think you can put it. You know, I was starting to write something along these lines where uh, this breed of SaaS companies that isn't uh, uh, what do you want to call it uh, uh, a rip and replace of uh, an on-premise version of themselves, right? Has run into the biggest issues lately. Put so it that way, what's give rip and replace is, for example, yeah, so what's that? What's a good example? Like, you know, Salesforce replacing uh, uh, Oracle CRM on-premise, Siebel, you know, uh, Workday, you know, replacing PeopleSoft, which was acquired by Oracle, uh, Viva replacing Segadime. Uh, and Siebel Life Sciences. Um, so basically, com- now companies that had BMC a and- that had a cloud migration theme to it. So, yeah, I mean that's the obvious element of it. I think what's interesting about it is that uh, the successor is replacing a predecessor with with an established, you know, TAM and economic model, right? And if you look at it from a business standpoint, right, from like investing as a into a public company, okay, these companies, like, and these are really kind of like the the, the successful, durable compounders. Let's put them that way, right? In the sense that they they really have been run by executives. Let's call them suits. Right, the uh, the expression of suits versus you know the technical founder, you know software engineer type. Uh, I guess the the contrast story here for a successful one is Atlassian, right? It started by devs, because if you look at Salesforce, you know Beanoff was you know a, a, a VP sales oriented type guy, you know the Essentially, throughout the 90s, he's he's the youngest VP at Oracle, at 26, I think it was. Uh, And in that decade that Oracle is essentially crushing its selling databases, you know, he's like the prodigal son uh, underneath Larry Ellison. You know, they're traveling together, they're doing meditation together, supposedly, you know, they're going on dates together. Like, uh, he's groomed, put it that way. And uh, he ends up starting a software company in 99, Cloud, which, you know, initially is backed by, by Ellison. And I think in the, in the time that he's built that business, like his DNA, right, is a sales-oriented uh, type guy who has a decade of experience, you know, at, at the corporate level, right? Workday. Yeah, I mean it's been run by its by its co-founders essentially the entire time it was a public company. Up until uh, I mean two years ago they promoted uh, Fernandez to co-CEO, who by the way is like a McKinsey consultant, you know, MBA, uh, career executive at uh, SAP, I think it was, and before that I guess consulting. 
you've got service now, you know, the, I guess the, uh, the gold standard in public SaaS, which even though it was started by Luddy, you know, the former CTO of Peregrine Systems, also a public company, you know, by the time it went public, uh, Frank Slipman was CEO. Everybody knows who he is these days, right? And he came from, you know, a background of being CEO of Data Domain, a public company, and sales culture. Uh, that's handed over to Donahue, you know, the current CEO of Nike, who I think is, is an MBA uh, consultant background, and before that, you know, CEO of eBay for eight years. Uh, mature eBay too, right? Like not like the you know early days baby baby eBay, and then that's handed off to uh, Bill McDermott, who you know I think it was almost like a twenty year executive. Uh, maybe it was Xerox. I don't remember where exactly, but by the time he got to like he, I think he was appointed CEO of SAP America. 2003, 2002, maybe. So, you know, he leaves for service now in 19. The last five years, he's CEO of all of SAP, right? So he's essentially been CEO of either the US business of a very large software company or the entire, you know, second largest uh, enterprise application software company behind really Oracle, right? You got to exclude Microsoft from that. And so all of these, we're talking about sort of corporate bona fides, essentially. Yeah, so what I'm saying is that like these guys ran businesses that were uh, software businesses that earned a profit consistently. Okay. I mean, almost all of them. Uh, the Workday counterexample is, yeah, it started by, uh, it's been run by founders the entire time, but they were the top executives of the market-leading public software company in their space that was on-premise you know, before that. So the highest market share, which Oracle ended up acquiring, right? So, I mean, even there, you're talking about a template. Even if you look at Viva, right? I mean, Gassner does have a more of a technical background of out of Salesforce, but you know, his number two at the time was uh, senior sales executive at Sable Life Sciences, right? So, like, these guys, and if you can broaden it out, too, you can look at payroll, you can look at cybersecurity. Most of these companies are built by seasoned vets. And uh, in many senses, what, what are characterized as suits, you know, like the old... Uh, you know, type of guys you find in an IBM, right? Uh, like that's that's one one way of looking at it. So these businesses, have, they also have the luxury of having clear defined templates. That's what I'm saying here. When you get to Okta or Twilio, for example, right? I mean, I kind of touched on this in Once Upon a Time in Tech. Uh, these are like... These are cloud proliferation new businesses, put it that way. All right. They're not, they're not businesses that are replacing something that existed before. 
in essence. Yeah, to a degree, there's like a middleware element, like uh, the API nature of, 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 of Twilio, but not really, right? Uh, single sign-on has been free, right? Traditionally, no, no one's thought to productize it, right? I mean, that was kind of one of the things when you looked at Octar in the, in the early days, these guys are spending a ton of money on sales and marketing, right? You know, the sign-up customers for what used to be given away, okay? But it does make sense. Like if you have a proliferation of apps, right? You know, uh, workforce identity becomes a bigger deal. I mean, there's, there's even like that overlap with, with human capital where like if you onboard someone like, and like you create a profile for a new employee that you're also duplicating an IT profile. That's what the Zenefits guy is trying to do with his startup. Uh, and saying I mean, that, you know, these two things shouldn't be disparate. This to tease out and go back really to once upon a time in tech, which you wrote in 2019, I think, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. And this is where we're talking about microservices that sort of, and I'm I'm sure I'm mixing things, but that sort of emerge from this where you're going off-prem, you can start to move more software systems together. They're pinging each other. And so now you need things like single sign-on for authentication or yeah, security. So when you shift from like monolithic design of software, you know, I, yeah. mean, I, just, I write one line of code, uh, ship it. And then like three years later, you know, I update it and you upgrade, right? Or two years later, <laughs> whatever. Uh, once a bunch of, once much of core software functionality goes to cloud and the it's architected in, in a network manner and it's updated consistently and it has to be good at integrating with you know other data sources other software right everything has starts to talking to each other right you've had this kind of new wave of of companies that kind of specialize off of this new ecosystem they don't have a template Right. I mean, maybe they have a template to an extent of what software should look like, but like you don't really have the same type of pricing template. Uh, you don't really know because it's greenfield, right? Like if you're single sign on and, and you are essentially getting that from Microsoft for free, right? And you're saying, well, this has to be its own, like this is going to be such a big deal going forward that like you're going to want to buy our software to manage the 1,000 different applications that some of your employees may have to use, right? And security that comes with that also, since everything is you know, in the cloud. And th there's clearly a period of excitement around these businesses it, it, to the same degree with Twilio, right? Like what Twilio is giving you is a product that you would have essentially custom built in-house, right? And the idea of targeting a developer and saying, here's these APIs, just buy them from us. And you, 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 know, you turn on SMS uh, and voice you know, into your applications. Instead of you having to spend the time putting together the carriers in the back end, right? And doing this yourself in-house. There was of course an argument for example, in Uber's case at one point, that like you should maybe do this in-house. It's such a core competency, right? But like at a global scale, one company focuses on this, you know, it becomes standardized, right? 
they get economies of scale and scope, right? In terms of broadening use cases. So it's like what's really built, you know, maybe as like for, for WhatsApp and, and Uber, you know, can be used by just about anybody, right? You know, a gym instructor, uh, you know, can, can consume an app that allows him to deliver uh, video messaging, you know, you know, direct communications really with its customer, right? We're very simple toy week. Uh, you can build a business like PagerDuty essentially on top of it, right? Incident management. I mean, PagerDuty we, we've discussed many times and as like a, a proliferation of cloud, right? Like there's, there's definitely overlap in, when, when you look at like how, how a PagerDuty benefits off all of these applications being used in an enterprise in the same way that an Okta does, right? So I guess like the starting point, you know, going, I mean, I'm taking us down this rabbit hole a little bit because I've been writing, but I think the important thing here is the these companies in their early days being Greenfield, they're also run by technical people, right? I mean, one's uh, in, in Todd's case, Todd McKinnon, he's a computer science guy out of Salesforce. Great, great story, you know, like financial crisis, he pitches his wife and he gives her like a PowerPoint presentation on why he needs to quit his job and start what's going on. And it's prophetic, right? If you've, I don't know if you've ever read it, it's good. He's got like, he's got like a really nice slideshow where he's like, Here's what could happen. Here's who's going to invest. Here's who, who who said they would invest. Here's who I could pitch, right? And it's like usual suspect, suspects. And I think what's his name? The Viva guy's even on there. It's like a guy who might invest. Uh, and then he's got like the guys who said they would invest. Like one of them was the uh, general counsel at Salesforce. But <laughs> kind of lays out this, you know, that like there's a once in a lifetime transition going on. Uh, this is what we're going to need. Like, he's totally right, right? Like, it's seeing the future. And, you know, it, they end up settling on what it, what it really ended up being, which, you know, at the start is SSO, really, and turning customers into people who pay for it, right? Like, it, it, the benefits of being a neutral party versus, you know, if you're an Oracle-based shop or a Microsoft-based shop or whoever, and they're providing you single sign-on. So I think it's interesting in that we went through this whole long cycle and I mean, Okta is, a, is considered really a blue chip, right? So it's in that category. It's, it, it had made its way into that category of top tier SaaS, right? That everybody loves. Big Tam, uh, great story, much like Twilio. And what you're seeing here now today, right? is the growing pains for these companies because they don't have an easy template. Um, they're not run by suits, okay? So like when Okta bought Authy, right? Uh, it was, or Otho, how's it pronounced? I don't even know because they're like, Twilio's got the other one. Uh, they're 2FA. Um, I think it's Otho. Okay. 
I don't know if you, if you know how it's pronounced, but I, I don't have the. I, it looks to me like Otho, but I don't. I wasn't aware of the Twilio counterpart. Well, it's not really. I mean, like Twilio has uh, a, like a, a name for their uh, two-factor authentication application, and I think it was. I think it's Authy. I don't know. So it gets so confusing. Anyway, when they did this acquisition for six billion dollars, you know their market cap before the deal was like thirty-five billion, right? And I mean, today the whole business is what nine? Yeah, it's it's ten. I think it's just shy of ten. I was just doing the math. Yeah. So as you can see, and like I don't know if you looked at the transcript or listen to the conference call. They had a really bad conference. It wasn't like something where like, if you read the earnings release, you would expect it to be down as much. Okay. Even after hours, it wasn't doing that bad. And I didn't listen live, but like I read the transcript, you know, right kind of at the end of the after, I didn't get a chance to short it. Uh, I did do a little bit in the morning for a trade, but like once you read the transcript, you're like, well, (laughs) this is bad. Uh, they're like, they're having what, like you would expect, like they're not, you know, private equity level acquisition integrators. <laughs> and, uh, there's like narrative confusion. There's Salesforce execution issues. There's attrition. Uh, they had to take down their, you know, billings guidance for the year. And there's like, you know, the growing pains of something like this, and you're still not profitable. I remember these companies, I mean, this is a company that's 13 years old, right? Still losing a ton of money on a gap basis. Uh, same as Twilio. Twilio is 14 years old, right? So I think you've been seeing like what you saw last week was this kind of just kind of reminder of like what a bubble dynamic is like and how it's like a rolling blow up. In uh, in some of these names, where you just kind of look at them and you know you're like, how is X, Y, and Z still 25 billion? You know, with like 800 million in revenue. It's like, and then one day it's just like, oh wait, they had these problems. It's like, well, they have these problems because these are like newish business models. It's not as easy. Well, it's as- I think I think that point also is because you know for earlier you were I sort of latched on to cloud migration, you made the point that that's only one piece and you talk about templates, you talk about experience. It was so, again, it was, you know, we'll look back on this time and really study it. And there, there's something to be said for the nature of so many people jumping into investing, liking the stories, liking that, you know, PowerPoint and developer, developer-led component of it and talking about how like the exact opposite point that you're making, how good these models are, how proven software is and how a powerful recurring revenue, you know, I still, I think Gavin Baker recently again made the point about software being better than first lean debt. And it's just, there's still this sort of identification with the power of software and. Yeah, with, I, I've gotten to the point where this whole concept of classifying it, like, you know, I, 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 I've been on both sides of this stuff on Twitter, 
uh, where you know I the the energy investor dunks on software and dunks on Kathy Wood, and then you know last week there was someone who's like you know let's not forget software is the greatest business model ever. Uh, energy shit versus energy shit codes, and you're like energy aren't shit codes. <laughs> like a business is a business at the end of the day. Once you're a public company, okay. You really kind of exist for one reason. That's the other issue. Like, I'm not like a critic of ESG, right? But like, for example, Okta's got like the whole slide on their ESG in their earnings thing. And I mean, yes, it's not the first or second slide. Uh, if you spend time on blind or you talk to people, like there's a lot of criticism around how obsessed uh, the Twilio CEO is with diversity inclusion and, and ESG in general also doing good by a corporate company by the way this stuff comes from who it comes from mark Beanoff. he's kind of like the founder of it all right the whole one percent one percent one percent right uh that he felt was like kind of like the social mission of of salesforce you know tied into being a public company versus the hey i'm gonna run a business I'm going to make as much money as possible. I want to make the world a better place. Uh, I always set up my charitable foundation like Bill Gates, right? And take us in that. That's the old type of model. There's been more of that in tech lately. It, now, clearly, you can do this and not receive significant criticism if you've already figured out the business, okay? And Salesforce is... You know, big enough. He's good at doing M and A. He's good at integration, right? Like, uh, he's proven himself. The teenier players, one who don't have the template, like we just discussed, who don't have his DNA, his experience, right? They're even more aggressive with this narrative, and you know, they haven't figured out the business size yet perfectly. And like, you're, that's what's happening to these stock prices. And they, this obviously creates an opportunity. You know, we spent, we spent all that time last year we're, we're talking about people are like, oh, if you held Amazon or if you bought Priceline in 99, 2000 after it was it drew down 99%, right? Like if you just held on, like you're seeing how hard it is to hold on. Uh, there's nobody saying any, anything positive about these companies now. I mean, like when I was short of Twilio last year, it was like, good luck getting your face ripped off, right? Today, nobody's interested in buying it. I mean. Like for all my jokes and, you know, participating in, in a little bit of the dunking, it's like now it's gone to the other extreme. And it's like, look, I went long to Twilio calls. I got wiped out really quickly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from a very short term standpoint, I, I was look, willing to look at the sentiment side of things uh, before getting to this, like, do you want to invest and own the business? Because investing and owning the business here is, is hard. Because you don't really have much to sink your teeth into, right? And it's kind of crazy to think about the fact that this can go on for years and then seemingly collapse overnight. So like, what the hell are you guys? Like, that's the stock market, right? They can be, it can be brutal. All of a sudden, you're not capable of doing anything right. You know, your social governance, uh, you don't know how to integrate. You can't manage your costs, right? Your message is jumbled. Uh, da 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 da. Like I, you know, dump the stock. 
And like a year ago, it was like, this is pretty much a must-own asset. So what, let's, let's go back to, or we don't have to necessarily go back to earnings. And we can, you can pick, we mentioned Octa, we mentioned MDB. I guess Viva is sort of its own category a little yeah, so bit. If you look at who reported last week, it was like a nice mix, right? So like Viva dropped like 15%. But Viva's, competitively speaking, nothing to criticize them on right? Dominated their market. Uh, the story there is that, like, you know, last five years, they're growing subscription revenue north of 25%. They're expanding operating margins of several hundred basis points per year, okay? And now, subscription revenue, you're going to grow 15%. You know, operating margins is going to contract slightly, right? This is like a, a, a stock that's just kind of run into the valuation. There's a lot of those. Those names are actually like where I'm more interested from the short side, right? Versus like shorting the stuff like uh, like an Octa or a Twilio, and like that was last year. Reality is, you should have you could have made another fifty percent easy this year, right? Like even even the bears have a hard time, you know, conceptualizing, you know, how low these things can go, right? Because something does persist long enough, like you, you develop a bit of a recency bias. So you may think it's very overvalued. And this has kind of been the argument around like MongoDB, right? And MongoDB is a success story. Uh, I don't think anyone has any holes to poke into it. They did kind of warn a little bit around like, you know, headwinds, macro usage, which I think you could have extrapolated. And it was part of my thinking. Uh, based on a lot of the customers they've been calling out two quarters ago. They've shifted, by the way, the type of customers they're highlighting on their call to non-digital first, you know, not like, uh, not the, the the hype startups, like, you know, we got this bank is using us. <laughs> uh, like we have uh, more established, stable customers using us for, for, for use cases. But yeah, I mean, $22 billion, uh, you know, gap losses that you're moving in the right direction. The last two years, the stock goes up on every earnings because Atlas is growing fast. That's it. Not much else to analyze. More customers, you know, a big revenue number, something north of 50%, right? And like whenever it reports, that just seems to be, you know, what people measure as success, right? But like in the last two years, Atlas has gone from a third of revenue to like it's 66% now, so call it just under 70. So if you're buying this stock now, right, your investment thesis narrative has to evolve from beyond, a little bit more beyond like, hey, I'm buying it because Atlas grow fast. You know? Because, because like, it's already at, at scale. For I mean, the, the, the mix has shifted and it's gonna be like, look, what like, you know, I'm paying $25 billion for something uh, that is still burning cash, right? And like is being modeled, you know, for these incremental type of, you know, 50 million or so jumps here in, 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 in cash flow generation. And I'm approaching like a, a three handle, maybe a potentially a high two handle on, on the top line growth, right? Like, that's a recipe for disaster, you know? 
I'm going to lose 50%, even though they succeed. Even though they succeed really well. Because so like, I'm going to look at them and be like, it's, can they even hit a billion dollars in free cash flow in five years? I don't think they can, by the way. A billion dollars in free cash flow is, is clearly no joke, right? It would be like, you're probably looking at, you're looking at a scenario of revenues having to like 4X in five years or something like that. So like, just too too pricey. And this is like kind of this bubble thing, right? Where like, you've seen what's happened with Twilio. I mean, by all means, in its core business, Twilio is still a fantastic success story, right? It's like the failure to evolve that uh, in a manner that's really financially measurable. I mean, Twilio today, like where it traded on Friday or Thursday was where it traded in 2016, like right after it IPO'd, right? I mean, the stocks, it sucks trading at book value. And if you actually, you know, net out the cash and their investment in Cyniverse, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at a seven to $8 billion enterprise value company now, which going to do about $4 billion in revenue this year. All right. That's two times sales. And, you know, the typical person, like, well, again, what's gross margin? And, I mean, you can parse this thing down, right? So let's say 70% or so of revenue is just under uh, 30% gross margin, you know, the messaging business. And, uh, uh, well, let's not call it, uh, let's say 55% of, uh, of revenue is just under 30%. And 70% of revenue is just under 40% gross margin. Like that 70% of revenue uh, we get the fact that gross margins, what is that? But like, if they could actually show you that like the gross profit that comes out of that uh, converts into free cash flow at significant scale. I mean, think about it from an infrastructure business standpoint. Uh, unlike AWS, you do not have the CapEx, right? Of the data centers. Uh, yes, like you've got these high costs, uh, you know, for the from the carriers who built the infrastructure. You're sitting on top of them, right? You're this like nice ARP, and you you have very low gross margins, okay? But that should translate into really, really, really high free cash flow at scale, right? So like you can you can have a company like that that is 40%, you know, or 35% gross margin for messaging and, and voice and could still be, you know, 15, 20% operating margin, okay, on the entire revenue of that business because it converts, you know, 70% plus of gross profit you know, into operating profit. If, if it really truly is a scaled infrastructure business, right? Like there should be, 
shouldn't be it shouldn't be human labor intensive. It should be a point where there's an escape velocity, right? That's something they haven't been able to articulate. Like their message has been more that like there's this, it generates profit. Uh, we reinvest it, right? And we reinvest it into applications. And the applications ultimately are where you're going to get the needle moving profitability, right? The, you know, Twilio frontline, Flex, uh, SendGrid segment, these things that they, in two cases, have bought and, and stuff that they've built in-house, in, in right? That's 30% of, of your business, give or take. And, you know, Twilio applications and, and, and uh, you know, uh, SendGrid are 90% are gross margin, you know, as, as disclosed by them. 90% supposedly like 88 and 89, you know, gap gross margin. So say, you know, over 90% non-gap gross margin. And, and segment is supposedly, you know, north of 70, right? So, I mean, if you put that together, like you have an idea, you know, there's, there's essentially a company with about a billion in revenue. And then that's, you know, has software characteristic margins. Although it's unclear from the cost side, uh, how that looks, you know, for, for them, because I mean, some of it is kind of subscale. Email is a bit different. Uh, but either way, like, you're seeing the stock market doesn't seem to care right now where, where it trades, right? I mean, the stock market's essentially saying that your, your platform business in, in CPAS is worth one times revenue. And excuse me, the rest of your business is, you know, call it five times revenue. That could be a nice setup. I mean, it probably, like, it, I'm not even say it could be. It, it is a nice setup, right? Like, this, these are businesses now. Like, if you want to take the, the analogs to an Amazon, even though it's not the same, okay, but in, in 2001, because I think if you look at an Amazon or if you look at a booking, they were replacing large established offline businesses with online businesses, right? There was kind of like a mousetrap element there that was better, you know, to booking online, for example, or to buying books online. Uh, there's no getting around that. And they had to just figure out their cost structure. And those companies did pretty quickly, right? And then it was just kind of the secular story. Here, not so much, right? Like it's like you're not really looking at something like it's something new. And it's like, it's kind of trying to find its footing and it remains kind of unsettled. But you do have management teams that like uh, are being forced, you know, like by there's necessity here to turn, the, to, to turn these businesses uh, into things that are profitable. Like you haven't really seen a total embrace of like, hey, we're going to grow slower. We're trying to grow slower, but we're going to grow profitably slower, okay? 
Like you haven't see, really seen that truly come out yet, right? But like well, that's you, essentially the direction you're going at. One of the things I think you caught, so like, is that that's the question is where do these companies go next and where do investors go next? And with Folio, I feel like you've called out specifically, you know, are they making where certainly in the wrong sectors like advertising, like tech, there is a recession, localized recession at the very least. And so you got to get out ahead of that. And it's like Gurley and others have said, don't no half measures. And Twilio, I feel like you've called out as somebody that's still sort of in half measure stage. So is that is, I mean, is that the basic playbook? And that's where we go back to the professionals is the idea of you just need somebody to really I mean, cut, no cut expenses. Like if, if they brought in like a proper suit and like what's the name steps aside uh Lawson into a chairman role, like that would be viewed positively. He's bearing the brunt of this because it's been an unprofitable company the entire time it's been public. All right. Now, like he's probably sitting there looking at it and being like, we're going to be fine in the next two years. Or, you know, he has not been able to communicate that yet clearly. They're clearly dealing, they're, they're making these changes internal, right? They're cutting sales commissions and messaging. They're changing the incentives for the sales org towards the applications, right? They're about to launch Engage. Uh, they had a big win in Flex. You know, they're talking it up. Uh, potentially that leads to more momentum there. Like there's interesting things that like you could probably get excited about with the, you know, frontline engage, uh, you know, how they tie these things together. But it, like, there's, there's also a ton of skepticism around, right? I mean, like there's a, a ton of focus around, like they did a bad job communicating the messaging story. So that's something they clearly got wrong, right? I mean, they were telling you last year that there's going to be these headwinds in domestic and da da da. And then there was this big shift to international. And then that kind of flipped, right? You're like, well, you told us this, but then margins went in this direction. And like, you have, like, they haven't been able to tell people, like, here's what margins are going to be, here's where they're going to settle. They haven't, like, they have not settled on whether or not they want to sell you the whole story together. Okay. Which, like has been the vision, right? Like I'm, you, I mean, part of the trick to this thing has been you overpaid for CPAS. CPAS is actually turning out into what you thought it would be, okay? Anyone who's looked at that CPAS business over the last five years, like it's turning into what it, what it should be. And, and it's such a huge slice of revenue. It deserves a really, 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 really little multiple, right? Uh, people were willing to ignore that as it was growing fast and, and pay a premium to it and just be like, there's going to be synergies, you know, across the whole business because this thing is growing so fast. And to an extent there, there are, right. But they have not been able to articulate it. They're clearly not running the tightest ship from, from a cost standpoint, like this business could be growing, uh, you know, 10 basis points less on an annualized basis, all right? But having got into profitability earlier, it would be in a more robust position now, okay? I doubt like you would be looking at it and being like, X, Y, and Z is gonna knock them off their boat, right? <sighs> from, a, from a competitive standpoint. And you wouldn't have the pain the market has inflicted, you know, on the stock and the loss of faith around management 
that you've seen because they will have proven they could do it. They haven't yet. Right. And like, it's becoming kind of obvious with some of these names that like the ones who have proven that they can do it have people running the companies that have done it before, you know, that come from that background. So it doesn't seem like they've truly appreciated, even though they, they do have a CFO because from a background that would signal that to a degree, but it's, you know, I think it goes to the CEO and how the CEO runs the org, uh, how they run the sales organization, how they craft go to market, whether they have the right people in charge. And I don't think these, these types of businesses through like these life cycles can be run by the same person. It's really hard. Put it that way. You know, to have one guy uh, because they grow. And then like at different points, different things matter, right? And if you're going to stick them out in the public, in the public markets, you're going to be held to account. And, you know, you're going to get to a point where like people are going to criticize your, you know, what you personally focus on from a societal standpoint, for example, in, in Twilio's case, culturally speaking, uh, as something that like, you don't have the luxury of focusing on as a public. You want to do that with your own money? Fine. Okay. But I'm not going to invest in your company anymore. You know, until you show me that you can create value sustainably for shareholders. Right. <laughs> and at that point, you know, uh, get kind of the benefit from giving back and, and building your business you know, with a, with a social mission around it as well. I think that's kind of like what you've run into with, uh, with some of these. And it's kind of a wake-up call right now because they're not going to get capital. And investors definitely uh, are pretty fickle. Like, there's so many things they can help. But look, I mean, think about this. Part of this is still the cycle. Like, MongoDB dropped... 27%, you know, I mean, often dropped a little over 30, right? But there's nothing on that MongoDB call that would have you as concerned as Okta. Okta looks like it's doing this shit. Okay. MongoDB is like, hey, you're just kind of expensive and you have some headwinds. But like the, the, the delta between the two is not, it's not that drastic. And that's good. That's that's the legacy of these mispricings, right? So I think you've been seeing it playing itself out uh, with the Twilio's of the world, but like Twilio's not down that much more than Zoom, right? The difference is Zoom came out of the gates really richly valued, and you know, today it justifies its valuation. And I don't think anyone looks at that business and thinks the management team is incompetent. Uh, it's probably really good that they didn't end up buying five nine. So I think that's one right now where it's like it's either safe. I think uh, you look at Twilio right now, you got a lot of question marks. 
but there's upside in that, you know, you could like, you should be able to double your money, maybe in less than, maybe in less than 18 months, so I'm going to say a year. Okay. And a name like this, if they start checking the boxes over the next uh, six months. Like you get some sort of idea of like what the profitability looks like for, for CPAS. Uh, they start making more progress on the application side. And investors can start modeling this thing out with some degree of certainty, you know, over the next three years. That's the hard thing with these. I don't think like the one like the ones that have done okay uh, have been more resilient. Uh, the sustainable compounders, you know, the last decade, they've all they've been very predictable financial models. This whole thing that like everybody's going to end up with the same margins of service now, right? Like investing like that, that's collapsed. And and I think that plagues the stock market. You know, at least for 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 another six months, if not a year, because you're seeing it like in phases in different places, and you're realizing that like the excess, correcting the excess is hard work. I don't know. I mean, are you spending much time with any of these companies? You know, I opened a tiny position in zoom before earnings just speculating uh obviously not working yet but i think that's you know zoom does have free cash flow support i've still got have held and still have my dropbox position um to me you know i i think it's i i sort of not having the sector expertise that you do like i can't go and suss out changes but i thought it was really interesting what you wrote about snap in the point of like there have been a lot of sharp shifts and what we've seen over the past few years is a lot of times and especially since the pandemic a lot of these sharp shifts balance out and so everybody's down on advertising maybe that's an interesting time to think about advertising stocks or whatever and so that's I haven't really spent a ton of time on the SaaS names, though, on like new ones um, beyond should I add to Zoom or should I, what should I do with that? And that's sort of, and I guess the the thing I was, one of the, one of the sort of takeaways you could have had back from the once upon a time in tech is that there are just too many SaaS companies and that they there has to be consolidation which is a nice story to tell yourself if you're a point product, you could say, oh, okay, some, at some point people will buy us. You know, we talked about whether that fit into the page or duty narrative, but I'm wondering. Yeah, page duty had earnings last week. And I mean, that's like an, you know, I was joking that this would have hit $80 in 2021. Uh, their billings number was soft. And like, they're a hair away from like high teens billings growth, right? In which case you look at them and you say, you know, it's probably going to be a stock that trades between $15 and 25 bucks. Yeah. Like there's like when you do the margin assumptions, you know, they're almost at about $400 million. Uh, the path to a billion is, is work. They're doing everything right. Okay. But it's kind of a business that you look at it and you're like, it, 
a lot of the value creation would come from it being owned by something else, someone bigger. Right. Yeah, it's it's sort it's and it feels like one of those really reflexive things now where as the questions are being asked of the margin structures and the points you made about no established models, it's like, well, maybe that's, you know, you sort of think, oh, consolidation is the way out, but consolidation at fire sale pricing is not exactly exciting either. And so because that there hasn't been a ton of it yet. There really, I don't think has been a ton of MA in software. No, they bought kind of the more they've bought more predictable businesses. Right. Like the private equity transactions, that, that's what they've been on. The public public companies the, before this, they bought more strategic stuff at like we don't care about price, right? Uh, I mean, like if you look at some of these businesses today, like it's like who can buy them really? It's somebody would have to be, kind of be branching out more aggressively. Uh, whether like you know people toss around can, could could Salesforce buy Zoom? Does it make sense since they already bought Slack? Uh, like who who could buy an Okta, right? Like they are kind of a neutral third party. I mean, I guess they kind of would exist nicely in, inside any of the big players, like maybe an Oracle or a Microsoft or a Google or an Amazon. Mm. But you know, once they sit there, right? Like it's it kind of becomes de facto, right? Like, are you going to challenge it? Uh, it doesn't get kind of the Switzerland benefit that it's had, you know, up until this point, and that kind of argument that like it really benefits from staying independent. Well, if it does, then it's really got to make itself much more of a profitable business and and faster. Uh, Twilio, you know, kind of has you know had similar types of things where like you talk about whether or not uh, it fits in with uh, one of the infrastructure players even maybe one telcos, but like, again, it's been an aggregate. So like these kind of aggregation driven infrastructure, uh, you, you, you do question whether or not you can really poke them in and stick them in something else. Yeah, it's sort of all these there's things. There's a lot of upside, put it that way. Like there's, I, I think if you look at some of these things here, there, I mean, you could say Twilio and Okta, both of them have kind of like, they've done a bunch of M&A that like they haven't cracked the nut on yet. And you're seeing that. I don't think, if you did enough calls, people would tell you there's been issues with like both, both the SendGrid and Segment integrations at Twilio. And there's obviously issues with uh, the, author, the, the author acquisition at, uh, at Okta. So, uh, buying companies isn't easy. Yeah, you yeah. Know, doing doing really large size M and A uh, comes with its growing pains. But and look, like that, that's that happens for the ones who are good at it, right? I mean, very few people can do it the way uh, uh, Salesforce has done it, you know, or Oracle. I mean, it's like you have to have kind of a really well-established engine for that. So I think you're seeing something like that. But like that's where a new crop of investors can can do well here because 
this is what's plaguing these uh, these businesses, I mean, so, amongst other things. But and you're and so you, a new investor again, starting very high level, would come in with the thesis of there's value here, but they're going to need to shape up. And if you figure out who's actually taking the profits path to shaping up and consolidating their market position of whatever sort, then that's where the winners will come. Yeah, look, you have to almost be obtuse to not get that message, right? So, like, I think, like, despite the criticism of half measures, I think Twilio has definitely gotten the message. Uh, there's there's all kinds of, uh, you know, criticism around it uh, in the investment sphere. There's criticism around it from employees, right? So... Like there's evidence they're moving already in that direction. I mean, like it wasn't like seismic on the last earnings call, but I mean it's there. So you don't like you just have to embrace the fact that like you you when you when you start your position and you buy them here, uh, you're buying them at a directional low point for a lot of these problems. You don't really know how quickly it gets sorted out, but like you can start to make the the downside in terms of the valuation work mm-hmm. um maybe just to i i maybe let's do one pivot to one other topic name we mentioned which was viva i am i wrong to say that viva is a little bit different of a bucket as compared to, I mean, they have, like, I think you talked, first of all, cloud migration, they have a profitable model in theory. So like what's, they just reported last week too. What's what's happening with your old friend, Neva? So they've successfully penetrated their TAM. <laughs> that's, you know, like that's their biggest problem. Story's yeah. over basically. I'm not saying story's over. I'm saying that you like you've had too much success. So you've got something that's, like I said, it's, it's grown with a, uh, a 25% plus revenue CAGR for five years with 200 basis points of margin, right? This year, they're going to grow 15% on subscription revenue. And there's going to be, you know, slight margin contraction. That's how you, like, you're going to, you have a one-time kind of repricing of a business like that. It's, it's been unbelievably consistent with how it's grown, you know, since IPO. So that's the, that's the transition point, whether you want to call it a Facebook or somebody else, like everybody kind of runs into these issues when they have too much success. There's a bunch of SaaS companies that fall into that category, by the way, right? So like this is happening at the same time that you're having this, this like the other end of the, of the curve, you know? Like the 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 guys who just you know crushed it for ten years, uh, it's getting harder. And then there's the the hyper growth kind of proliferation guys who haven't haven't cracked the night yet. Yeah, there's the 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 argument that we're in the early innings. That feels like. A, you know, I don't want to cast total doubt on it at this point, but it just feels like the mar- both market expectations have changed and, as you're saying, the operating environment itself 
has tightened and it's a combination that's so kind the of- thing the, the thing with the ones with the established ones is they're 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 the success stories they haven't really gotten to a point where they're really cheap um and the success stories have a different return expectations profile from here right like you now have to kind of step them down uh and then you have the the other extreme is like you know the down 90 percent where you can you you could double your money in, in less than two years because they they have yet to establish like what the what the financial operating model is going to look like and you can guess that you can spend some time on it. I mean, there's clearly some views that internally uh, they're going to try to communicate that better. A lot of them, like they, ha- they haven't communicated better yet because they haven't had to build it. That's really the story here, right? Like they, you, you start going for a while where it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be like 60%. We're going to be 60% gross margin, gross margin. In, right. Like that's been the, the Twilio story. And you're seeing, you know, the gap growth margins get down below 50, right? And like, well, why don't you just embrace that that's not going to be the reality? I mean, it could be the reality if you have uh, your non-core, you know, grow like three times as fast. But when, you, when you've kind of been running on that and you had like a template and like now the template's not looking accurate, put it that way. And it's like, all right, like what, what's, what, what are the operating margins of this business look like? If I, if messaging is down to, and messaging is going to be north of 50% of your business, uh, you know, high twenties gross margin, right? Like you're going to have very few people who will ever believe that messaging is a a 20% operating margin business. Okay. I mean, that just essentially it seems that there's going to be very almost minimal required investment from here on, and that like it's going to compound, you know, consistently for twenty percent in perpetuity. You know, if that happens, great. <laughs> I mean, you can sit here and say like, if you end up essentially being kind of a, a monopolist in this space, and and the where you sit between the carrier and the customer uh, really works out. Yeah, I mean it's, a, and you can maybe down the road have some some pricing power, uh, but like it doesn't look like that today. Put it that way. Well, like, can you embrace it? Can you give us like, you know, an incremental path on what it should look like? And they're all going to do that. There's no such thing as a business that can't get profitable. Right. And it's not like these guys are far off. So I think that like you, you can own in, in terms of bottom fishing before in the, in the last quarter and this kind of trading setup and like, you know, guessing on the macro, I still actually think the macro slash industry themes don't work against you because the excess is still being corrected. But I think there's now enough situations where they've blown up, you know, so, so extremely. And like that, the, like, for, like you can have more confidence that Twilio in the next two quarters 
shows you progress. I don't, for example, think, I think if you look at Okta today, I think that like, it, you, you're not betting that things get figured out in a quarter or two. What about maybe one last, yeah, I, they're reporting this week. Have you been looking at DocuSign recently or they have they fallen? No, I still have that small position, but uh, you know, I, I read some negative notes about it. Um, that like the billings bottom, the billings bottom's not in. I mean, that's one where you're changing management. Uh, you had the Salesforce type stuff. Uh, it's definitely gotten cheap. I'd say it's, I'd say it, it's market cap is more than more, more compelling than Okta is. Even though, even though growth has kind of been eviscerated. I don't really know how much you can obsess over the competitive landscape. Like that's always seems to have been more of an overhang. I don't really think you think about that. Like, like at least in Twilio core and, and in the in the core Octa business, you don't really think about that as like competition. And the same thing as like a Viva, you're not really thinking competitive. Like DocuSign always has a little bit of this whole like Adobe thing. Uh, we've discussed. Uh, you know, Zoom, whether it's Microsoft or, I mean, Zoom also kind of has, I, when I think about Zoom negatively, I just think more about like remote in general. As a, yeah, I just think it's not, it's, it's just like in, in terms of like, you know, work behavior, even though maybe that even, like you still need it just that the remote is enough of a miss, a mix that like, that's maybe even margin positive, <laughs> but overall, uh, like the pure pervasiveness of the utility, you know, does leave uh, does leave you with some question marks. But yeah, I don't really have a strong view on this quarter. I had a stronger view last quarter on DocuSign, and that proved to be completely wrong. Uh, I mean, I guess it would get a, a more positive reaction because it's been debilitated. I think everyone's kind of uh, got, a, got a risk appetite that's taken it on the chin here. So it hasn't worked to kind of buy these uh, laggards, right? Although right now, if you look at them, the laggards over like, let's say the last three or four weeks are now kind of outperforming the leaders. And that's really come from the fact that like they dropped like 10%. Uh, they never really went up in the in this kind of risk on environment. The other stuff went up and it's like, you know, instantaneously uh, reversed it. Yeah. Which has been again the other component of what makes this environment tricky and interesting. Yeah, you haven't seen something like this for twenty years. That's the whole point. Like, you know, it's easy to talk about it when we when you know we look at it on a piece of paper, uh, and are like, "This is what happened." So, you know, if you own this stock for the next twenty years, it's like, yeah, but like you would not want it to buy it <laughs> because. All the analysis you would do would lead you to look somewhere else. And, and like that's what you're seeing right now.
I think that's the easiest way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Why don't we, why don't we call it there? We've just right. saved, saved for next time. If it's still in the news or still interesting, NVIDIA and what's happening with semis and are having their own version of all of this. Um, but yeah, good stuff. I think the SAS, you know, it's, I mean, it's not from a perspective of like calling it, but I think it, the, the focus we've had on it the last couple of years, like it's continuing to earn that focus as it goes through the whole cycle. So it's interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think the big takeaway here is this is the first time you can, you can maybe take some, some sized positions uh, in some of the fallen, some of the hated business models that are unprofitable, put it that way. And, uh, think about like the next few years. But, but at the same time, like not collectively expect the entire industry to move up. Mm. So it kind of cuts both ways. Yeah. So it makes it makes it tricky. All right. Good stuff, Akram. Enjoy the rest of your holiday and pick it up again soon. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by SoCal. Thank you for listening and see you next week.